to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on our show, we have Mark Anthony, who is known as the Psychic Lawyer. Mark is not only a very successful attorney, he is also a practicing medium who communicates with spirits. He graduated from Mercer Law School with honors, which included the study of law at Oxford University in England. He has also studied mediumship at the prestigious Arthur Finley College. Mark is regularly featured on major television and radio shows and is a headline speaker nationwide. He is the best-selling author of two very highly rated books, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. His website is evidenceofeternity.com or you can simply go to wedontdieradio.com and click on episode 124. That's one, two, four. So now I am super excited to say, Mark Anthony, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. It's really great to be here. I've been really looking forward to your show. Yes, and we have a whole bunch of listeners looking forward to it, too, as I broadcasted that I got to interview today on Facebook and tons of great reception, like how soon are you going to have it posted? So it'll be today as soon as we're done talking. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, I think so, too. So, Mark, first of all, um, a big... Uh, what do I want to say? Thank you for the difference that you're making in the world for all the people, not only that you've helped believe in life after death, but you've helped them through grief. So just as one human being to another, I know it's a big, big, big deal. And so thanks for that. I appreciate that. It's, you know, it's losing a loved one is just the most crushing and devastating thing that we go through. And anything that one person could do to alleviate that pain for another, and that that truly is is a calling and a gift. So, um, I appreciate I appreciate your kind words. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And if you're listening to the show right now and you are experiencing the loss of a loved one, I can tell you what: when you believe that life after death is real and that you're going to see your loved one again, it makes the uh, travel through grief to the other side so much better. Still, there's pain, but it really is better. So let's get jump right in. Mark, could you tell us a little bit about you? Growing up, were you a kid that saw spirits, or did you know your life would take a, a turn like this? Maybe just a little bit about your background. Well, you know, the first five years of my life were pretty tough. <laughs> um, and, and the reason I'm laughing is because I hear all these people that are always complaining about their childhood and how difficult it was. Yes. And... You know, I, I almost died when I was about about two and a half, two and a half, three. Um, and what happened was uh, I just st- I stopped breathing. And um, we, we were living in Orlando at the time. My dad and my mom had moved down uh, from – I was born in New Jersey. And we moved down to Florida because my dad got a job in aerospace, and he was away on a business trip. And I was real sick, and I just went into respiratory failure. And my mother ran outside of the house holding me, and she was screaming, my baby's dying, my baby's dying. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? I mean she was just frantic. And as as – fate would have it an off-duty fireman just happened to be going for a walk down the street and he ran across across the street and he got me on the ground and started doing chest compressions on me and then the next thing i know i was in the light and there was the there were these beings there and the, the way i can describe them sandra is you ever see like a, a little academy award you know academy Award? they kind of look like um people but there are sort of outlines of people but translucent Hmm. so when i say an academy award they had a humanoid look and they were like glowing but you could see through them it was like they were liquid almost and the funny thing is 
now when I do readings and I see an entity like that, that's generally an angel, an angelic entity. And these beings, they were really sweet to me and they were real nice and they were telling me everything was okay and don't worry and, and that, you know, you're loved and, but you have to go back. And the next thing I remember then is I went like, <gasps> like this and I heard someone scream, we got a pulse and I was oh in an gosh. ambulance. And they, they were having trouble with the respirator <clears throat> because the respirator hose got caught in the door of the ambulance, which is going like 90 miles an hour. My mom was in there, and she goes, I'll open the door. And so the paramedics got the respirator on my, my face. He's holding my mom by the waist, like on her dress, and she opened the door and pulled it pulled it in. And they go, we lost him again. All of a sudden, they go, he's breathing. Oh you know, so all of, this is, <laughs> all of this is going on. And... And uh, so I had this near-death experience where I went into the light. But the fact of the matter is um, the ability to perceive spirits, which started happening not long after that. And a lot of people indicate that a near-death experience will trigger it. But for the fact that my mother was a medium, my father um, had mediumistic ability, and it runs on both sides of my family for generations. Wow. So, yeah, so both of my parents um, were mediums. And, you know, my dad was a NASA engineer. My mom was a commercial artist. It's not like, you know, they went around like, we see spirit. You know, they didn't do that. They, you know, we were pretty much mainstream America, sort of, kind of. And, and, um, and, and so in my study of genetics, I've found that there are many reasons uh, that people inherit certain traits. I mean, there's a reason that you look like your parents. There's a reason left-handedness and twins run in families, intelligence, athletic prowess. There's also a reason certain diseases, um, cancers and such seem to run in families. And it appears that mediumistic and psychic abilities, uh, an enhanced use of certain parts of your brain are also a genetic trait. And so it's, it's what's called a recessive trait. And a recessive trait means that, uh, like in my family, most people have brown hair and brown eyes, but there, every couple of generations, there's someone with blue eyes. So, and, and psychic ability is a recessive trait. But when both parents possess the same recessive trait, then the likelihood of one of the offspring, meaning me, um, is going to have that trait intensifies. So, so that's what happened. And then I started seeing spirits um, around the age of four, and uh, my parents didn't chastise me or treat me that it was weird or anything like that. But um, they told me just to kind of keep it in the house because most people wouldn't understand. And so it's always been there, but I kind of kept it kept it shelled and I didn't think it was all that weird until I started getting older and realizing that not everybody's mom was like my mom <laughs> you yeah. know not everybody's family you know had this whole spiritual thing going on and especially when I'd encounter people that you know neighbors and friends they were um you know evangelical types and and you know they'd be going oh things like that are evil evil and I'm looking at it going well no it isn't because you know my mother sees spirits and she's a very good and loving and pious and faithful person and you know, my family, we, you know, we were, we were good people. And so I saw from a pretty young age that dogmatic entrenched religion had less to do with God um, and more to do with supporting a bureaucracy and an organization. Yes. And, and that God is an energy that we're all connected to and a goodness and a love um, and a beautiful light. And, and so I learned from a young age that the light is pure and cannot be polluted, but it certainly can be blocked by people and their, their behaviors. So, so that's kind of how my childhood was. Um, and then as I got older, having been raised in a Catholic background, I wanted to go into the clergy, but I felt that it was too restrictive. Um, you can't you have to follow the teachings of the church. You can't believe this. You can't believe that. You can only believe this. And then I always, I, once again, by the time I was like 15, I saw that that's too restrictive. That's too restrictive. So I almost became a priest, but I thought there were too many rules, so I went to law school. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that? I thinking? Oh, my <laughs> So that that's kind of in a nutshell, uh, kind of my my first uh, first twenty years, if you will. When you went and got interested in law school, I mean, was there ever a time that you put these beings and the mediumistic abilities kind of on the back burner and 
as a young man, you know, you're thinking about life and all oh, sure. that stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm asking. Has it always been you, present for you? Yeah, when you get into to school, um, I, I know the, the spiritual encounters were always there. But particularly when you get into an intensive left-brained activity like law school, you know, where things logic and evidence and it's all being shoved down your throat and it's all very coercive and, and – uh, uh, you know, not not to disparage the legal profession, but a lot of aggressive people are attracted to it because it's it the our our, our ideals of justice are inspirational, but our system of justice can be a joke, and it all becomes about money and power as opposed to truth, justice, and and what is right. So that takes a back burner to all of these these special interests. And uh, I'm sure I'm offending a lot of people by saying that, but unfortunately, um, once you get into the practice of law, it becomes not about doing the right thing or not about justice. It becomes who has more money, who has more leverage and power, and who can outmaneuver who. And that's where it all goes wrong. Um, on the other hand, I don't know what we'd replace it with that would be any better. And Winston Churchill said that our system, our legal system, was inefficient. It was, um, um, you know, it was unfair. It was unbalanced, but it was better than anything else that's ever been tried. And I, I tend to agree with that. You know, it's funny, Mark, because we're recording this. November 7th, 2016. You know, I'm always thinking somebody's going to be listening to this 10 years in the future, but this is when we're recording it. And tomorrow is our presidential election here in the United States. So it's, it's really, <laughs> I think it's going to be the perfect interview for the perfect day. Well, speaking of train wrecks, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on, on no. either side, no. but this is without a doubt. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase the uh, the news reporter Chris Matthews. Uh, excuse me, Chris Wallace, Mike Wallace's son. He said this is the most negative and issueless campaign that he's ever covered in his life, and it really shows the sad state of affairs when the two most despised politicians in the country are running against each other and it's come down to personal insults and vendettas and, and all of this. And the real loser is the American people. And I feel that um, both parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, have failed the American people miserably because there's been a polarization in our politics since uh, the first Clinton administration, where if the Democrats are in power, the Republicans do nothing but try to undo that and vice versa, as opposed to, and not that I'm you know, worshiping or extolling him, but in the Reagan era, you had a president that could reach across the aisle. Now, they didn't always get along, but the fact of the matter is we're all Americans first, and that there are some things like some of the Democrats' ideas are really good. Some of the Republicans' ideas are really good. And some of both parties' ideas are really bad. And they really need to stop, stop trying to destroy each other's hold on power and realize that the focus needs to be the people of the United States. And I'm, I'm wondering if this election is like a big pimple that's been festering and oozing and we're about to pop it and maybe this will bring all of that out and maybe um whoever gets elected maybe he or she will do a good job let's hope he or she does but maybe in four years there'll be a reinventing of the way we're doing business so uh, i'm an incurable optimist and i always believe that uh, we can survive and recover from anything, uh, and let's hope that, that we do. Um, let's tie this in with the subject of the show, which is life after death. In a few minutes, we'll talk about why you believe, but I'm a big uh, proponent that if we don't die, life is for a reason. It's for our soul's growth and, and so many things, but as... If you are somebody in the United States listening right now and this is going on, Mark, do you feel there's some growth that we can 
take on for ourselves, for our souls, instead of, like, I, cause I see it all around me, people are just making the politicians wrong. Is there some way that we can look at this for ourselves? Do you know what I'm getting at? I, yeah. Um, trying to and, empower people. Uh, well, let, let's, let's, you know, now that I've crashed on this whole election, yeah, uh, right. we grow in response to adversity. Okay. And perhaps both parties and perhaps the people need to see this adversarial situation in all of its ugly faces, okay? Um, you know, the, both candidates are horrible in different ways, okay? So I'm going to go on record and say that. So if people start, you know, from the Republican Party, one starts picking at me, and people in the Democrat Party start one picking at me, well, that's your choice. But the fact of the matter is um, perhaps we need this to realize that we have to change for the better, for the better. And with death and dying, to segue into what your question is, the other side, in my communication with the other side, spirits are not miserable. There is no archetypal hell that that um, I learned about in Catholic school and in Christian teachings or in Islamic teachings of, you know, a guy with a pitchfork running around sticking in the wazoo if you're bad and, you know, burning in coals and all that nonsense. And that there's a historical basis why people think of that and how it evolved into that. But the other side is a, is, is pure energy. It's a quantum field. And, and I'll get into explaining that later. Long story short, energy doesn't get old. It doesn't die. It doesn't get sick. Energy is a perfect thing. Yet in that perfect state, there are things that apparently that we cannot experience, such as negativity, sickness, death, pain. So we come into this incarnation, into this material world to experience these things for various reasons. And think about it, Sandra, the times in your life when you have grown the most as a person, as a spiritualist, as a journalist, has it been when everything's just peachy and wonderful? Hell no. Exactly. We grow in response to adversity because the fact of the matter is if everything's wonderful, what is your incentive to change? You don't have an incentive to change because why should you? But when things are bad, that's when you change. That's when you grow. And um, there's nothing we can do about the fact someone we love dies. And we can take the path of alcoholism and drug addiction and impulsive behaviors and anger, which is a path some people choose on the journey through grief. Or you can isolate yourself, become lonely and withdrawn and hateful and bitter. Or you can realize that in gain there is loss and loss there is gain and that who and what we are is more than this physical being and become a deeper, a more compassionate, a more spiritual, a more philosophical person. And so the journey through grief, like the journey through politics, <laughs> isn't about being all happy yeah, and it's, it's so funny because every four to eight years, change you can believe in. We're going to change. Make this, make that. Right. Together more. Change, 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 change. It's like, so all they're saying is the state we're in stinks, and I'll make it even better. And then four years from now, someone says, well, the state he created or she created really bites. So now we're going to, you know, the fact of the matter is it's almost a metaphor for living in the material world that constant change adversity is a motivation for us to change and you can take the easy path which all too often is a self-destructive one or you can take the higher road and the higher road is difficult but the higher road always has the better view so uh -huh. so yeah. <laughs> so like that. that's the way we can look at it that's that's the way um we should be looking at it is that all this pain and suffering we endure in the material world is for a reason, even when you feel isolated, alone, and feel that you don't matter. The fact is, you do. Oh, I even think of when my dad passed away, my siblings stopped talking to me. I was in the lowest of low state I've ever been in, but that adversity got me to study grief, got me into more of life after death, and now look where I am. I mean, it's incredible. And I want to just challenge everybody because I think 
Mark, I don't know if you were this way, but I certainly was. Like, who am I? Who's going to listen to me? I'm a chef by trade. I'm no author. You know, who's going to care? And even with the election, the adversity, or if you're experiencing grief or some other adversity in your life, do you want to take the easy path, which might be destructive, or take the higher road with the better view? I mean, just challenge everybody to pick an adversity in your life and, and grow from it. This is awesome how we tied in the election with life after death. <laughs> well, it's such yeah. a good example of yeah. misery and suffering. And, you know, I'm just going to be glad not to have to listen to these hate-filled commercials. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just it's just dreadful. But, you know, you know, people think this is the worst election we've ever had. When John Adams was running for president against Thomas Jefferson – Jefferson accused John Adams of being a hermaphrodite. Oh my. Uh, I, you know, so, so, and uh, Andrew Jackson, um, and I'm not a big fan of his. I mean, he go, he's down in history as being one of our great presidents, but what he did to the Cherokee nation, the Cherokee people, and the Trail of Tears oh, is just, it's just sickening. And his wife was called every, you know, acronym and, and terrible name for being a prostitute and, and all that. So there's nothing unusual in American history about dirty politics. It's, <laughs> it's been that way from day one. You know, we think of the founding fathers. And we'll get back to the life after that. But since this is the election show, you know, the founding fathers <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. being these enlightened men sitting around going, oh, yes, we're going to create this incredible country. Well, let's look at who they were. OK, um, at least half of them owned slaves. OK, right. um, none of them uh, allowed women to vote. So they were they were racist. They were slave owners. They were misogynistic. Okay, they had a very um, narrow world view. They were living in the horse and buggy era, but, 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 they also knew that change was an inevitability, which is why they allowed the Constitution to be amended. And they also knew that religion must not control government because they were looking at 1,500 plus years of European history and saw one religious war after the next. And the United States, with the possible exception of the Netherlands, in, in 1790, when the Constitution uh, was put into effect, 1790-1792, was the only Western country without a religious head of state. For example, in, in Great Britain, the monarch is the... Um, um, uh, head of the Church of England in Spain, mm -hmm. there would be a Catholic cardinal assigned to the royal court in France and in every other country. There would be some type of religious head of state. And the founding fathers saw that religion is not government, and when it becomes government, it becomes a tyrannical dictatorship. And people say, well, we need to get more religion in government. It's like, really? Look at Iran. Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at ISIS. Look at the Taliban. Okay? Do you really want religion controlling government? And so the founding fathers were very, very far-seeing about that, and they knew that slavery had to end, okay? But they, they, they realized that was a battle for another time, which eventually it became. So we have to look at them as being children of the time, and it's just a pathetic that it took so long for for number one for slavery to be abolished and number two for women to be part of the political process so so you know political and and social change is slow but but because of those negatives that gave an incentive to change and to grow and we're still changing and we're still growing along those lines mm -hmm. today mm-hmm all right, so I'm done with well the Well said. No, I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I have been avoiding getting into political conversations because I'm seeing they're breaking up relationships and families and friendships. I'm like, that's just so silly. Come on, people. But anyways, let's go into life after death because you are a famous medium with two books published. You're on TV and radio and you speak at huge events. You're a big deal. How? Let's see. How do we even ask this? When did you decide, being an attorney, that it's time to step into the world of being a medium? Like, what gave you that push? It, it, 
seems like it was chosen for me as opposed to being a choice that that I, I consciously made. Say more about and, that. And, well, you know, I always had these abilities. And then when I was, you know, practicing law full time, um, I was always treated a little bit differently by my colleagues because especially like during jury selection, I could kind of figure out like what was going on with people. And, and um, in, in this one case, um, my client was kind of a big country sort of guy and he got into a bar fight with another guy. So, and, and uh, he was like sort of redneck A got in a fight with redneck B and I don't mean to, you know, to, to insult anybody, but it's what it was, you know, Mm -hmm. it's two big guys duking it out. And uh, so, but it was a crime of violence and my guy was the winner. So the loser brought charges. And so we're doing jury selection um, and jury selection occurs before the trial begins. You bring in a panel of people and you ask them questions to see if we can, both the prosecution and defense can narrow out any bias or prejudice and then end up in this case with a jury of six people plus one alternate. That'll be, you know, fair and impartial. And um, I kept, getting drawn to this one juror that I, you know, euphemistically refer to as juror number nine. And it was this you know, attractive Latino woman and um, Latina woman. And I kept feeling a female spirit around her and this tightening around my throat. And so I, I, I said, have you or has anyone in your family, this is the question I'm asking her in jury selection, ever been the victim of a violent crime? And all of a sudden she began to tremble and the tears came to her eyes and she looked up at me and she said, a year ago, my sister was in a foreign country when an escaped mental patient strangled her, dismembered her body and threw her in a garbage can. Oh my. And I'm standing there and I mean, you could have heard a pin, even the prosecutor was a real, you know, loud mouth, didn't know what to say. And everyone in, in, in the courtroom is looking at me and I feel the, you know, the tightening around my throat's intensifying. I'm starting to see the spirit taking form, you know, my mind's eye behind her. And if you want to know what happens, you're going to have to read my book, Never Letting Go, <laughs> <laughs> because in Never Letting Go, I explain about that. And it, it started intensifying. Um, and then when my mother died, and I was very close with mom. Mom was sure. a medium. And, and you know, because we got to lunch and, like, read people's auras and stuff, which, you know, you're really not supposed to do. But that's kind of what we did. And we didn't share the information with anybody. But, um, we you know, we were, we were real close. And when she died... Um, I was absolutely devastated, and people think, "Well, you're a medium; that shouldn't bother you." <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, you know, as, as if grief and pain and, and anguish bounce off of me. If anything, um, being a medium, we have to be extremely emotionally sensitive because it's all about opening up and tuning into frequency, and that's an emotional thing. And so, so I. Um, I started finding mom coming to me and then other people that I know who had died and it started intensifying and my mom's spirit conveyed a message to me that you've been given the gift of mediumship so you would not be crushed by grief, but now you must help those who are suffering with their grief. And I was at this uh, grief counseling group at the local Catholic church and I was, I went there for you know about a month or so. Mm-hmm. And what it was turning into is in the group discussions, I'd be saying to people, well, if your son were here, he'd like you to know this, <laughs> you know, because her son was there. And if your mom would want, you know, and so, oh. so the facilitator of the group, and she was real nice, she was from Ireland. And she said to me, she said, um, you know, Mark, you can't be doing this. I said, doing what? She goes, you know what I'm talking about? They're talking to spirits. I go, but we're in a Catholic church. Isn't that what we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she goes, you know what I mean? So I decided to stop going. And then about a month later, I was at uh, the grocery store and this little tiny lady walked up to me. And I remembered her from the grief group. She was in her 80s and her husband had, had passed. He They'd been married like 60 years. And I remember she took my hand and said, Mark, would you come back to the group? You made us feel better. Oh, yeah, and and that's what made me decide to write "Never Letting Go," because I realized that spirit communication, the ability to reach out to the other side, which is available to everyone in one form or another, but there are some people who are simply better at it than others. It's like some people are better athletes, some people are better musicians mm-hmm. or. Math- 
petitions or whatever. And that spirit contact is an important tool in helping people heal from grief. And right after that, it's like all of a sudden the door was flung open and the demand for my services as a medium um, started taking up most of my time, then Never Letting Go became a major uh, spiritual bestseller. It's in, I don't know, half a dozen languages now, and um, and uh, the the speaking engagements. Because you know, people ask me, well, how do I do what you're doing? I have no idea. It just, just happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's happened, and um, I realized stop resisting, just go with it. Because for a long time, I thought I'd continue practicing law and do this. So I, what I do now in a legal capacity is I'm the go-to guy on radio and television shows when there are spiritual or paranormal issues that collide with legal ones. And, and it's much more widespread in this day and age. So, um, so I'm a legal analyst on cases like that or in high-profile cases. Um, I've commented on everything from the DNA linking uh, this one suspect to the Jack the Ripper murders to the, the Clutter family uh, murders in cold blood, demonic possession as a defense, suing to get out of your lease because you think the house is haunted, <laughs> um, insurance coverage for ghost hunters, okay, running around in an insane asylum at night and someone falls and breaks their leg, somebody's getting sued, um, and now I'm giving lectures on quantum physics being able to um, prove or at least provide the theoretical basis for the existence of an afterlife. And so, so um, I talk about near-death experiences. So I'm going all over, all over the country uh, to, to provide um, these, these discussions and to do readings, and you know, it keeps, keeps me active um, legally as well. So it's, you know, I don't know if there's a formula for my career, but this is what has happened with me. And you're one of a kind. So it would seem, but so are we all. And the reason that I say this, a lot of times people think, I don't matter. Right. What have I done? Um, I've made no effect on anyone. Well, do you think there's a reason that your fingerprints – are unique among all the billions of people which has lived, which who have lived, um, even even identical twins who technically share the same DNA. There are subtle differences between the two, and they have different fingerprints. So every single human being is unique, and that person's perspective and experiences are unique to that person. So for, for good, bad, or, or – and I don't say indifferent because everybody matters in their own way. We all have a reason that we're here and why we're here. And so maybe you don't speak to thousands of people or maybe you don't run for president or you, know, you have created a formula which has proved string theory or, or whatever. Maybe you are sitting on a bus – and somebody next to you opens up to you and starts talking to you and you listen to that person and that and and you give that person some encouragement or at least acknowledge their existence and then that person does not go home and commit suicide like he was planning to do right okay a lot of times we have no idea how we affect people and you know and I try to tell people be nice I mean, all the religions are boiled down to two words. Be, be nice. nice. Be nice, you yeah. know. And, and, you know, I've had some people say, you know, they had a reading with me. They go, you weren't nice to me. Uh, what it is, a lot of times they'll say, I'm getting this. Does that make sense? Um, I'm getting something in the end of June. Does that make sense? His favorite color was yellow. It's like, that's not what I'm asking you. And I don't mean it like that because when you're connecting with spirits, they're transmitting messages so quickly to you and you get an image, a sensation, a feeling. And if you ask the client, does that make sense or do you recognize this? And they go off on a tangent or they're not listening. Sometimes the medium can come across as being short and we don't mean to be that way. It's because We've got to convey that information because once once they convey it, they're moving on to something else. And so, so sometimes people think, well, you know, you're you know, you're you're being short with me because a lot of people come to a medium and what they want to hear is, oh, your grandmother's here, 
She loves you. She brings you joy. She wants you to be uplifted. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Anyone could say that. But when they start saying, well, um, I'm getting this whole thing with the left um, hand, left finger uh, um, of your grandmother, and it almost feels like it was severed. Well, yeah, Gran had her uh, left finger cut off, okay, on, on her pinky on her left hand cut off. Okay, that's a piece of evidence that I don't know that the spirit is transmitting to me. So if I get something in the hand, well, her favorite color was pink. Well, that's not what I'm asking. The message that I'm getting is relating to that particular thing. Now, why is that important? That's important because in true mediumship, uh, which I would call interdimensional communication, anyone can say she's here, she loves you, and uh, she wants you to be happy. But when you start transmitting to the client facts, evidence, um, personality quirks, idiosyncrasies, shared memories, things about the client, because spirits can bring up stuff about you that nobody um, would have a reason to know. This is the basis of evidential mediumship, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it isn't always readily apparent. I was like, I was doing a reading the other day, and this woman's husband came through, and I saw a box of raisins, and it was California raisins. And I said, I'm here and heard it through the grapevine. <laughs> she goes, I, I'm not sure what that means. But then the next day, I got an email from her, and she said not long before her husband died, she and a group of her friends and her husband went to a Halloween party dressed up as the California raisins. Oh. Okay. But it took her some time to like, oh, my God, that's what that meant. And so a lot of times in a reading, people think, well, you're being short. It's like, come on, I'm getting this thing about raisins. And and they don't quite understand what's going on in the thought processes. So I know I'm going off on a, oh, on a bit good, of it, Yeah, yeah no, keep talking. Yeah. Well, this is how you prove the existence of an afterlife. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then people will say, well, you're just reading somebody's mind. <clears throat> well, I was doing a reading on, on a radio show. Um, and, um, and, and the host is awesome. She's a teenager. Um, and she's got this, uh, radio show, uh, called like crystal kids. Fun. So her uncle comes through, she asked me to do a reading for her on air and I, I did a reading and an uncle that she'd never met came through and I kept seeing five, one, nine, five, 19, five, one, nine. She goes, I don't know what that means. I said, that's fine. Just make a note of that. Maybe you can substantiate it later on. And then the uncle transmitted some other things. After the reading, after the show, she contacted her mom, and her mom said, oh, my gosh, that was your father's brother who died before you were born. Funny thing is, he died on May 19th, Mm. 519. Now, if that wasn't in her mind, and we're doing the the interview by, by telephone, okay, so I don't know how I'm supposed to read somebody's mind over the telephone, okay, if it isn't in her brain to begin with, how is it that I'm reading it? You see what I'm saying? I do. Are you still there? Light speed, at least, okay, is able to transmit information like that. Mm. We cut in and out just for a second, so I don't think I lost you, but we're together now. Okay. Okay. See, see somebody's cutting us in and out. (laughs) They like to keep us on our toes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it makes perfect sense if if you if that person doesn't even know it to begin with. I mean, that's the best kind of evidence I think is when they go back and they find out, my gosh, that was true. Why do you think our brains, a lot of our brains, it's so hard for us to not not even accept it, but like we have the skeptical mind that's thinking it can't be true. You have any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's it's fear of the unknown because mm-hmm. you see children Children see spirits a lot, and it's because they're they're not taught to be afraid, and they're not taught to to think that if you can't see, smell, taste, or touch it, that it somehow do, or hear it, that it somehow doesn't exist. And what happens is it just gets very hard for a lot of people to believe. That someone that you love, once they've died, there's any anything beyond this 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 life. It's like um, the um, the philosophical movement existentialism. Mm-hmm. Um, existentialism to me is an, it was an outgrowth after World War II, and it's the when you're dead, you're dead. So when you're alive, you know, enjoy your life. 
and you can understand that. I mean, World War II was just an absolutely horrific, horrific uh, low point in human history. <clears throat> Not that we've ascended real high since then. Um, but existentialism is a very negative and narrow-minded philosophy. Because, the, But they look at it like this. Well, since you're not going to be around to, to be upset that you're dead, it won't matter. Okay? You exist. I think, therefore, I exist. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny when – and I'll, I'll give a snippet from, from Evidence of Eternity. My best friend's name is, was Billy. And Billy and I traveled all over um, um, the Far East. He, he was a, a, a linguistics genius. He used to teach English to executives in Japan. He could speak English, Japanese, Thai, Indonesian, and wherever we went, he'd, he'd pick up the language wow. um, really quickly. And we met when we were 11 years old, and our birthdays were a week apart. We were like brothers. I grew up at his house. He grew up at my house, went to college together, and we had this ongoing discussion our entire lives about life after death which I, of course, believed in because of, I see spirits. He says, well, I don't believe you can do that. I don't believe in it. He never wanted you know, me to make a connection for him. He didn't believe it. And um, he married this beautiful woman from Japan. And then I get a call from her one day, and she said that he was in intensive care, um, that he had taken a drug overdose, and he was having a lot of problems with depression and, and alcoholism, and there was all sorts of stuff going on with him. And she said, she said, Mark, the doctors want me to take him off life support. They want me to kill him. I can't do this. And I said, then don't. Don't. And she's like, you're the only one I can talk to because his parents, one had Alzheimer's, the other was um, had just died, and her family was all in Japan. And I said, don't do it. And, and so three hours later, he expired of his own accord. Mm-hmm. And I know she never would have forgiven herself if she would have done that. You know, the doctors were saying, take them off, take them off. She says, no, I won't do that. And then I got the call, and I was devastated. Of I mean, course. this is like, yeah, it's my, my brother. Friend, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and I, I told my, my secretary at the time, I go, cancel everything. I, I'm just going home. And I, I came home, and I was sitting in my living room by myself, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's Mom. And she goes, I brought somebody, and she steps aside, and there he is. And he says, well, I guess you won that argument. Oh. And so, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. I wasn't sure if this was real. And this ties into your question earlier, why do people have a hard time believing it? And in why I didn't believe it was real is because I wanted this to be real. Okay? And I'm like, I need verification on this. And he kind of smiled, and they just all sort of pixelated, you know, their, their image pixelates from my view. So about an hour and a half later, the phone rings, and it's my friend Lydia. And she's a famous medium, um, and she was going to be teaching a class and asked if I'd be assisting uh, on this class. And then while we're talking, and I didn't mention anything about Billy. She said, I'm picking up on this male energy around you, blonde hair, blue eyes, real outdoorsy type and something about some argument that you won. Oh my gosh. And all of a sudden it's like, I was ready to jump for joy because now I have the validation yep. that it wasn't me wanting it to happen that it did happen so the moral of the experience is that yes as mediums we grieve just as, as heavily as anyone else and when it happens to us we sometimes are in a state of disbelief and need the validation as well we're human we're human and it's all we're part human. of it <laughs> absolutely Wow. Do you believe that we come into this lifetime with certain things we want to do, certain, what am I trying to say, uh, lessons to learn that we pick our uh, our death, you know, if somebody's, because it ties in, there's a lot of people that I know personally that have lost a loved one to suicide or they've lost a child. What is your take on that kind of stuff do we 
come into life like we're going to be a bad guy or a good guy and it's all to help the other person grow. Do you have any thoughts in that realm? Oh, um, I definitely, definitely have thoughts on that. And this is one of the most difficult questions and dilemmas to face because how can somebody say that the point of my life was to lose my child, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was honored and privileged to be interviewed by Shirley MacLaine earlier this year. Yeah, that was wow. that was that was a total trip. I mean, she's awesome because she has a radio show, um, you know, through her network, and she caught a lot of flack for saying that um, Adolf Hitler came into this world for a specific reason to basically dole out karmic lessons and experiences for people well immediately the press turned that into Shirley MacLaine's a Nazi and supporting Adolf Hitler and that is not what she meant in fact I asked her about it mm-hmm. because we were talking about things like this that I think what you meant was that whatever happens some people that come into this life are here because they're supposed to be negative in this life and create these negative experiences and she said well that's what I meant but people weren't listening to me. And so when a child dies, and that is absolutely horrifying and horrible and terrible, and, and what the parents go through is, is beyond nightmarish, it creates a ripple effect the devastation, the sadness. It creates uh, so many repercussions. Yes. And, and that is the lesson. And how people react to it and how they grow from it may be the reason that this happens. Now, I am not justifying the death of a child. I am not downplaying anyone's suffering or trivializing or marginalizing them in any way. It's trying to understand this. Now, of course, the cynics are like, you know, it's all chaos and we're all thrown together and it's all random and nothing matters. But I don't see that. In the thousands of spirits I've communicated with, they're all very clear that everything that happens happens for a reason. And once again, you come into the material world to experience negative things and pains and and anguish that you cannot experience when you are pure energy. And that's why these things happen. And it doesn't make it easier knowing that, but perhaps it adds some perspective. Yeah, you know, when my dad was dying, he had cancer, and dad, Catholic, went to church every single day, and I watched him suffer a very difficult death with cancer, but I found some quote in the Bible that had to do with suffering, and I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was something to the fact that, well, I'm going to put it in Sandra language, but the more you suffer, the more of the spiritual growth you have, um, the closer you'll be to Jesus or something like that. It wasn't exactly that, but it was just, it gave me the, what if, like really, what if you get the most bang for your buck here on planet earth through the bad times instead of the good times? Well, the Buddha said life is suffering and uh, the Hindus, um, also look at suffering as part of, of, uh, the journey in life. Um, you know, I remember growing up uh, and seeing uh, all these trust funder kids, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, for their birthday, they'd get a BMW and they never had to work and it looked like life was one big party. And then like 10, 15 years later, I'm practicing law and they're coming to me for their DUI arrest, their drunk driving and their drug possession and their spouse battery and the way they acted and the way they talked to me, they developmentally still acted and appeared to be not, not appearance wise (laughs) so much, but, but their behavior like teenagers. Yeah. And there was no growth there because they didn't earn anything in life. And so by going through a lifetime where there is suffering and difficulty, that's when we grow. And so it appears, Sandra, that once we leave this life, and I believe in reincarnation, but we go to the other side, it's not just, hi, here we are on the other side, da-da-da-da-da. There is a, a whole slew of frequencies and levels. 
And think about like the the uh, frequencies in XM, FM, AM radio. Mm-hmm. We know in the electromagnetic spectrum, you got gamma rays, X rays, microwaves, um, um, all these uh, different types of of frequencies. So the other side is the same way, and getting to these higher bands, higher frequencies, also seems to be related to not having to come back to the lower frequency which is the world we live in. And that may be part of it, and I believe that it is. Now, there's no way for us to prove this, at least not at this point in time, but that's also something Hindus believe, Buddhists believe. Um, There is that old expression, you got to go through hell before you get to heaven. So this appears to be um, hell. In other words, Earth is hell, and, I, and, and of course, there's many beautiful and wonderful things, and being in love and prosperity and good health and all that are, are really nice. But the fact of the matter is there's no archetypal hell on the other side. The hell is when you have to come back here and face the things that confront us in a material world existence. Hmm, that makes sense. And all of this, I feel, empowers how we're going to choose to live life. Do we play it safe or do we be courageous? You know, all that. Well, there, there's a choice as well. And, and I think it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're, when you have children, uh, you certainly playing it safe is, is not a bad thing. Um, but it's funny because I remember um, growing up and, and my parents were from the city and they didn't believe in sheltering us. If we had a question, they answered it. Um, you know, we had frank discussions about sex and about violence and, and about things like that. And I knew other children who, oh, I've never seen that. I was sheltered, you know, and their parents thought they were doing a good job by making sure that that child had absolutely no common sense, no street smarts or wherewithal to deal with manipulative and, and predatorial personalities. Right. When they were flung you know, out into the real world, I mean, seeing the naivete. I also saw this, you know, when I started practicing law. You know, I'd, I'd been around. I mean, I was young when I practiced. Uh, when I got out of law school, I was only like I think I was 23 when I graduated. And, but I, you know, I was anything but naive. And I would see some people that that just had no clue what the real world was like. And, um, and, and. That's all part of growth. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, make your kids go sleep in an alley and, you know, right. um, so, but, but I don't think sheltering a child and insulating them from the realities which are out there is helping them because forewarned is forearmed, you know, um, expect the best, but be prepared for the worst. You know, my dad would really like you. why do you say that just every just the way you talk i just i don't know why that just came into my mind and maybe it's my dad saying i really like this guy sandra just yeah you're easy to listen to i'm right with you on your thoughts and concepts and you're cool mark oh gosh well thanks and you're (laughs) Cool. Let's keep going, though, because time goes by so quickly. Oh, my gosh. So you're practicing medium. You speak all over. You're on TV, radio, et cetera, so forth. But you have two books. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about, like, what makes them different? And, like, what – I don't want to say what kind of people need to read them, but I'm a fan of myself um, purchasing my books – or the books from my – guests and uh yeah i don't know which one to get first and like just explain them because i i've never really looked on amazon and found somebody who's got so many five star reviews and a ton of them so it's like people love your words and um just yeah tell us a little bit about your books well never letting go my first book is a guide on the journey through grief and it is inspirational um, in that it provides messages of love and healing from the other side. Um, it teaches you how to recognize when loved ones or spirit in spirit are near, and it has a, a very large healing component. Uh, and it's been recommended by hospices and grief organizations all over the world. 
And a lot of people tell me that when they're kind of in that fog um, right after the death of a loved one, that never letting go brought them a lot of clarity and a lot of comfort. And so when I was on the Never Letting Go tour, um, people started asking me questions about reincarnation, about grief, about suicide, about um, homicide, about the physiology behind spirit communication is there a scientific basis for this and so i started keeping track of of the most asked questions and that was the birth of evidence of eternity so evidence of eternity is not not never letting go part 2 it it stands on its own and it's been it explains um spirit communication and the afterlife in terms of science theoretical physics human physiology, evidence, and faith, and it's been endorsed by the top near-death experience researchers in the world, um, Dr. Uh, Mai Haley, Alex Haley's widow, um, endorsed it. Shirley MacLaine said it is a must-read. Um, uh, William Bowman from the Out of Body, uh, the Monroe Out of Body Experience mm-hmm. Institute, so it, it's been been endorsed by the scientific community and um what what i enjoyed about evidence of eternity is that i was able to redefine terminology relating to spirit communication uh, i've introduced new concepts like interdimensional communication for for what most people call mediumship because mm-hmm. that's what we're doing we're in one dimension we're overlapping our frequency with another dimension to communicate with spirits, henceforth interdimensional communication. Frequency beacons is another one of the concepts. Spiritual situational awareness, multiple meaning messages, the collective consciousness disconnect. And so um, so it explains a lot of those things. So what I recommend is reading Never Letting Go first and then going to Evidence of Eternity. Um, I'm, in the be- I'm, I'm starting on my new book, um, which I want to get into quantum consciousness and explaining the the nature of of the soul in terms of quantum energy. Wow! Uh, yeah, that, yeah. It's wow! Like, and the, the fact is, Sandra, it, it can take lifetimes, and that's sort of a mediumistic joke. Yeah, lifetimes a good one. to to even become close to understanding this and. Funny thing is, I'm, I've been studying quantum physics, and one day I was getting really frustrated with it. And then I saw a quote, I think it was from Heisenberg, um, who's a great, great physicist. And he said, whenever you think you understand quantum physics, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Um, can we rest assured that when we close our eyes on planet Earth this last time, that we will be greeted by our loved ones and our pets and... That there's this place, and yes, to reincarnation, I believe that too. But that that we'll get to hug them again and see them again, and and stuff. Absolutely, Yay. absolutely. And even if uh, the person has reincarnated, you can still communicate with their spiritual aspects. So you're never going to miss a loved one. Okay, and that's one of the things I explain in the chapter on reincarnation and evidence of eternity. So the fact of the matter is, when it is our time to cross, you will see and encounter your loved ones in the light. And um, this is not just me saying this. Near-death experience research Mm -hmm. has has indicated this. People who have been studying spirit communication for centuries, um, you know, all the great uh, faiths uh, teach this. But now we're seeing from a scientific standpoint, this appears to be true. In fact, Dr. Raymond Moody, who started near-death experience research back in the 70s and who also endorsed evidence of eternity, mm-hmm. he is conducting research now where somebody who's terminally ill, be they at a home or in hospice or in a hospital bed, and it's not uncommon for someone to say, oh my gosh, I'm seeing Aunt Martha and Uncle Bob, okay? Well, the the thought is, well, spirits that are on the other side are are around this person, so when this person transitions, what what these, these studies are showing is that family members, Hospital workers, hospice workers are also seeing these spirits. That's amazing. And 
Yeah, and so this is a whole new field of study, and this isn't just something in the U.S. This is going on worldwide that they're noticing this. And so it's all quantum physics. It's all frequency. What's happening is that these spirits are slowing down their frequency and vibration so that the terminally ill person can see them. And what happens is other people are now seeing them too because their frequencies are aligning. And this to me is just incredibly exciting. So, so when somebody who's terminally ill starts talking about seeing a loved one, don't dismiss that. Right. Don't dismiss that. I wish we had more time because I'd love to talk about terminal lucidity, <laughs> um, which, which is a, another aspect um, to, to this, this field of study. We have about five minutes left, if that works that for you. That ought to do it. All right. Terminal lucidity. Yeah. People who are in advanced states of dementia and Alzheimer's, right before they die, they come, they open up their eyes, they'll sit up or they'll speak, they'll be absolutely coherent. And they may say, oh my gosh, Aunt Martha, or they may look at their loved ones around them and say, I love you, thank you, I'll miss you, and then they die. Now, when you look at the brain of somebody on Alzheimer's compared to a healthy brain, the Alzheimer's brain looks shrunken and shriveled because it is, because the blood vessels are collapsed and emaciated, which is why the brain isn't getting fed properly, and so it has this very dried-up, emaciated appearance. And the, this organ appears to be completely incapable of allowing a person to come out of the non-responsive Alzheimer and dement demented dementia state to communicate. So here's the theory, and this is what I believe, is the brain does not create consciousness, it merely houses it. Mm. So when the organism, our body, is beginning to shut down and we're transferring um, our energy is getting ready to transfer to the eternal state from being anchored to a body. That's what's happening. The spirit's emerging, and all of a sudden the person is like given a boost for a second to where they can say a few things, and they appear completely rational and conscious because for that split second they are because that's pure spiritual energy as opposed to a function of the brain which is no longer functioning properly. And that's been termed uh, or referred to as terminal lucidity because they're terminally ill, they're going to die, and all of a sudden they have a lucid, coherent moment. And this is being documented in thousands of cases all over the world. Yeah. I think it's fascinating and very, very encouraging. Oh, that's awesome. Well, this hasn't been enough time, so I'm going to read your books and keep in touch with you because now, like it or not, we are new friends. <laughs> oh, i got to come back to your show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and you can speak on my stage when I host one of those big events. i got big plans myself. Big, big, big plans. Any closing words, Mark? Well, if people would like to find out, find out about um, having a, a session with me, mm -hmm. um, please visit my website, evidenceofeternity.com. And uh, most of the readings I do are over the phone, and you know, my staff will be happy to set you up. Um, so evidenceofeternity.com. Also, um, um, about my books, you can find out about how to purchase them there. And please sign up for my newsletter, oh. which will uh, keep you up to date on my tour schedule and personal appearances. Plus, um, we didn't even get into the whole psychic explorer thing that I'm doing now, where um, we're taking people. I'm taking. I'm leading people to mystical and spiritual locations around the world. So that that's a, a new venture that that you we're just, doing. We're on a cruise. Yes, down to the Yucatan, to the Mayan ruins. Oh. Um, it was a great time. Um, it, it, it was fun. It was spiritual. It was healing. Um, and uh, I was able to, to do readings for all of the attendees and who were fantastic people, fantastic oh, great. people, um, great, great travelers, great adventurers. And, um, it, it, uh, and, and just being able to stand and, and look at the pyramid of Chichen Itza, mm -hmm. wow. <laughs> that, that put that on your bucket list, everybody. That one's incredible. So to find out more about all that, please go to my website, evidenceofeternity.com. 
Yes, and for our listener also, feel free to go to wedontdieradio.com, click on episode 124, and that's Mark Anthony's episode, and I have direct links to his newsletter, his books, and his website to make it easy, easy, easy. And I also have a favor for everybody. I have a new Facebook page. It's the thing to do here in 2016. If you go into Facebook and type in We Don't Die Radio, it's an easy way for you to get a hold of me and like the shows. I ask you to like the page, share the page, because you never know who in your life. They may not show it on their face, but they might be grieving the loss of a loved one. They might know someone who is uh, terminally ill. They may have a fear of dying or a fear of living. And I tell you what, to listen to one of these episodes, even just this one, really got me jazzed up about my life and being responsible. Uh, so you never know. So I ask you to share. So Mark, Anthony, you are a rock star. And I am so grateful that you were with us this hour. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do something again. I'm pretty positive. And for our listener, thank you. Really thank you for spending your time. And I do listen to your recommendations who you'd like as guests, as many of you know. So feel free to message me on Facebook or email me. Uh, of course, our website is wedontdieradio.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I have been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe with all of my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.